Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but can't find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Bandcamp is looking for a user experience designer. This is a remote position. Also, Design B&B is looking for a senior designer in Chicago, Illinois. For just $99, we will feature your listing on our job board for 30 days and help spread the word about it to our audience of listeners. We also offer an annual job board subscription for companies and organizations. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more information on these listings and others. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, I want to let you know that we released our 2021 holiday gift guide a little bit early this year. You can actually check it out right now on our website, revisionpath.com, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. I decided to release it a little bit earlier than usual this year, so I hope you can get a chance to get some really great stuff. Of course, as you know right now, because of the ongoing pandemic, shipping is just going to take much longer than usual. The supply chain is really backed up, so instead of waiting until December, we had everything already kind of put together and figured why not go ahead and release it now. So check out that link that will be in the show notes, or you can just go to revisionpath.com and you'll find the link on the homepage. Now let's take some time out and thank our accessibility sponsor for this episode, Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Gabe Galt, an artist and muralist in Los Angeles, California. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, my name's Gabe Galt, and I'm an artist from Los Angeles, California. So, Gabe, what's on your mind? Like, how's the year been going for you so far? Oh, man, it's been an amazing year. It's kind of been ups and downs. Obviously, COVID has happened and is here still. But on the bright side of things, I've been working on a pretty big project myself. That's been kind of keeping my morale up. And there's been other pretty cool projects going on. Nice. What is kind of a, a typical day like for you, like as an artist in LA? God, okay. So I wake up. I make sure I kind of get a good start in the morning if I'm you know heading to the studio. So I'll wake up. I'll make some breakfast. I'm trying to go on a smoothie kind of diet right now because I, I'm getting married in about three weeks or so, three oh, or four weeks. Congratulations. So, so this, by the time this comes out, you'll be a married man. I will be a married man. <laughs> and that's going to be a, <laughs> that's a new life journey for me. 
Yeah, so it's pretty simple. I feel like my mornings, I usually get to the studio when it feels right, but it's usually around 11 a.m. And I'll have everything kind of prepped out and ready to go. I'll get there and I'll just, you know, have a jam session for the rest of the day until I feel like it's time to leave, really. But it's kind of all flow for me, I Mm. would say. So you kind of just get in the zone once you get to your studio and then to see where the day takes you pretty much. No, definitely. And besides that, I'm usually running errands about my manager. He lives on the west side of town. So so sometimes we'll, you know, drop off paintings or go to meetings and stuff. I try to keep it pretty relaxed. I don't want to stress over my work anymore. Um, (laughs) That's kind of been a big thing coming up as an artist is, you know, there's a lot of stress sometimes only if you let it. But I feel like every day is a pretty good day because I get to wake up and do this. Yeah. Now, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but you're one of like several Black artists that I discovered via TikTok. Dude, insane. (laughs) (laughs) It still blows my mind. It's like when anybody tells me they found me through TikTok, I'm just like, I I wouldn't have imagined this a year ago. (laughs) So, How does uh, social media help out with what you do? Social media is a powerful tool for the better or for worse. And TikTok specifically is one of those things that really twisted my mind because it changed the way I thought about social media. Um, I was on Instagram for a number of years. It took me a certain amount to get a certain amount of followers. Not that that's like end all be all, but you know, that's what I was kind of working up on there and getting a decent views on my work. Uh, And then I went to TikTok and I think like in the course of a couple months, it's like I'm almost about to surpass my other social media platforms and all the hard work I put into those kind of seem irrelevant now compared to TikTok. So it's a great tool because you get to interact with people and you get to talk to people in a way you just couldn't really do in real life. Uh, you get to show people a little bit of your life. Or whatever you want to show them, really. It doesn't even have to be your real life, I guess, um, as most of you would know. Yeah, it's a it's an amazing, powerful tool, but it is, at the end of the day, just a tool you can use to better yourself. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about TikTok, and I've been on there now for, I don't know, maybe a few weeks now, just kind of casually observing, is... One, like it really has the spirit to me of like the old web. Like I've been around on the internet for a long time and I remember (laughs) the, the early web and how really just sort of wide open it was. Like you really could just go down these deep rabbit holes of information and find all kinds of weird things. And I think what's interesting with TikTok that platforms like say maybe Instagram or Twitter don't do is how they take like your one piece of content that you make. And it almost like splinters it out into these different ways that people can discover you. So like, of course, say you do a video, right? So there's the video that people can see if you come up on your For You page. But the video also has audio and the audio can be your own audio or it can be like pre-recorded audio that you select from their database or whatever. And then as you type up, you know, the description on the video, you can have hashtags. All of that stuff is also its own like search portal in a way so like Mm -hmm. people searching for that sound can now come across your video or people searching for that hashtag now come across your video and so you get people discovering your work in all these kind of weird and interesting ways that maybe they wouldn't before on another platform because it's only funneled into one mode of discovery 
Yeah, and I feel like it's just so so different from everybody else's. Like, you can have a completely different TikTok from the person sitting right next to you, just like in the algorithm and what videos you see. Like, I'll be sitting next to my fiance, and like, she'll be like, "Oh, you? How have you never seen this video?" And it's like her videos are all pumpkin spice lattes and like <laughs> witches and like astrology, and like I'm on the completely other side with like people you know, dabbing and and doing art and doing murals and like everything just completely different. Mine's like video games. and It's just crazy how big it really makes you see how big the internet is and just from only on TikTok, mm-hmm. but it's a insane space and platform. Yeah. And the creativity is just, it's out of this world. I mean, of course, like the, yeah. the tool itself has all these different kind of features that you can edit video and change the duration and the speed and all that sort of stuff. But just like, like the trend that I've been seeing recently that is really dope is, uh, and I don't know if you've seen this, but and it's funny because by the time this comes out, it may have already passed, but there's this trend now <laughs> of like, you know, remember like fighting games, like Tekken, yeah, there's like the, you lose screen where the, where the opponent like <laughs> talks smack. And so you've got all these different people That's doing these different hilarious. versions of what that looks like, but like to the same sound. So like if you search that sound, there's like hundreds of videos of people like you're the like vaguely weird character with the, the random move set or, <laughs> oh yeah, you know, you're the sleepy character with all the power. Like it's, it's crazy. It's so wild. Dude, I love those so much. Those are, <laughs> I'll, I'll be on there for hours on end. It's just unhealthy, but yeah. at the same time, it gives me so much joy. So I think it is healthy. <laughs> but yeah it's a it's a crazy platform like i feel like i did a video that did i think the glass city riverwall video i did of my ohio project it did like 1.3 million views but i remember like shooting it and i was like oh you know i'll just take a picture of this like just like some random clips and Uh put it together and then that was like the biggest view count i had on that page but it's just crazy like you never know what's going to hit or what's not going to hit. I feel like and you kind of have, you put together just something random and somebody's going to appreciate it. You know, it's just like putting that stuff out there. Yeah. Now you mentioned this mural, the glass city river wall project. Talk to me about what it is and how you got involved with it. That's a whole project that had a call for artists, a global call for artists. They had about 500 or so submissions. They narrowed it down and I was the artist chosen for it. It's a giant grain silos in Toledo, Ohio. And there's about 28 silos in total. And it's about three football fields long and 134 feet high, I believe. So they're pretty massive. By the end of the thing, it should be the largest mural in the nation. Wow. Yeah. Please talk about it. Yeah. Like, what was that process even like? So it was a pretty lengthy process. This is where we had to put together all our resources we ever had and really figure out how to get this thing done. Because it's one of those things where like nobody you know has done anything on this scale. So you have to figure it out and get the right team. And luckily, what I love about Toledo, you know, it's this big, small city and they have everybody's just super hardworking there. I had so many people reach out to me and like offer their skill set for the project, whether it's like donating like coffee or like juice or doing footage, drone footage. 
actually like two of the guys who reached out, this guy, Nick reached out and he was a videographer and he shot documentaries and stuff. So he reached out and another guy, we call him Dino. He also reached out and he's a local artist in Toledo. And it's at the point where like, I couldn't see this project going the way it's going, like without those guys, because they're just such a huge asset to the project. So it's like a little bit of knowing what to expect and then, you know, expecting the unexpected and taking whatever wins you can. But it's it's a good project. It's going. I feel like we'll be done by end of November, possibly. So, Wow. Yeah. What is your creative process like when it comes to like starting a new project? I mean, I'd imagine something as big as as the Glass City River Wall project. That happens on a massive scale. But like, say it's just a a regular painting or something. What does that creative process look like? I always try to put some kind of meaning or some kind of, I like coming up with conceptual concepts. I sometimes do a lot of portraits, which are pretty straightforward depending on the subject. But sometimes, you know, I get to mess around and paint people who are inspiring to me. So that's usually the subjects that I choose are people who inspire me in some shape or way. And I, want to talk about the background as well like i do a camouflage background which represents blending in and standing out it's people who blend into your everyday life and stand out by doing something that impacted you in a positive way and that's usually how i like to choose my subjects is somebody who has changed me forever i mean i've seen some of the the ones that you have on your website and they kind of range like you've got like Nipsey Hussle, but then you've also got like yeah. Yayoi Kusama. Like you have like a big range of, of portraits that you've done. Yeah, I feel like there's been a, a kind of gradual change as well throughout the whole, uh, my whole, I guess, timeline of, of painting because I started out painting a lot of pop figures. I looked up to or I liked or somebody I knew loved them. And now they're changing slowly into like pop figures and they change to people I would interact with daily every week and learn something from them or learn a lesson or love their story and want to paint them. And now I'm kind of leaning into a conceptual phase of painting different. I'm kind of like in a, I'm working on this project called Afaroma, Mm -hmm. which is like African Rome. And it's has the first piece I did is Romulus and Remus, which is like a twist on the foundation of Rome. Then I'm working on like a Medusa kind of piece and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, more to come from that. Oh, interesting. So yeah. kind of like a play on like some Greek mythology kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Play on that and some Renaissance age. It's kind of like rebirth of the Black Renaissance, really. You have a lot of Black artists doing some amazing traditional pieces. Mm. Now, I want to go, you know, kind of more into your background. Like you mentioned, of course, you're now in Los Angeles. Is that where you grew up also? Yeah, so I grew up in Venice Beach, California, and me and my family, we kind of migrated to the Valley eventually. Now I'm in the Valley. I've been here the past, geez, I think I moved to the Valley in 2006 or something like that. So it's been a while. But yeah, I mean, I love it here. It's my home and... You know, it's kind of like the central point for me to get anywhere, to get downtown, to get to Los Angeles or Hollywood or the Palisades or Malibu. So it's been a pretty nice run out here. It just gets like super hot. So, you know, that's kind of a big problem when it's 
you know, comes time to paint in the summertime, my studio is outdoors. So it's kind of like limits me, but um, (laughs) I can't complain. It's a great spot. Growing up, did you have a lot of exposure to art and everything? I would say I did in some senses. Um, I was actually inspired by, I remember this like very clearly when I was about four years old. I think my parents turned on the TV and Dragon Ball Z was on. And Mm. then I was just like inspired by like anime and manga and all that kind of culture. I feel like a lot of creatives actually kind of came from that era of like, you know, early days of Toonami and anime and stuff back in the day. And that was, you know, later in high school, like translated to me, just kind of drawing that stuff and getting more acquainted with that and drawing portraits of friends, you know, whether they were good or bad. And I was a pretty big sports player. I come from a pretty big sports family. Like my dad, he played pro ball for the Super Bowl Bears and the Los Angeles Raiders. Hence, while I why I moved out here or why I was born out here. Oh, and nice. uh, yeah, and so that was like a little bit of a conflict of interest where it's like I was an artist, but my dad wanted me to play sports from time to time. Of course, at the moment he's super into me being an artist, and you know he, he's been one of my best supporters from the past years and interesting journey like going from high school drawing to getting more serious about it in college and then i took smc art course for about two years i ended up dropping out i did an internship with my mentor rob Pryor, and we did that for about six or seven years and from there we were actually working on like a fully hand-painted comic book and we did like we did a bunch of cool jobs Throughout those years of training, we did like stuff for Heavy Metal Magazine. He was like part of owner of that. So I did like a lot of comic book stuff. I did a lot of concept art for video games and movies and all sorts of weird, odd jobs. And we were actually working out of this building in Burbank where we ended up kind of getting laid off of the uh, comic book job. And I ended up pursuing fine arts, kind of quote unquote. That's where I, you know, wasn't making any money. Then I was breaking even. Then I was like, okay, I can do this for a living. How did you get connected with Rob? He was a friend of my dad's, actually. And he, I don't know how they met exactly. I think they met through like a photo shoot or something. Rob's a pretty strict guy. He's like, you know, he doesn't take any bull. And he's he's like a pretty heavy metal dude as well. So you get in there. It's pretty extreme. He's blasting music. He's a hooligan. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> but he's my hooligan. Nice. Uh, but yeah, he's he's a super talented guy, Rob Pryor on platforms. But he, he does stuff for, you know, all kinds of different music groups and he does like conventions and he's an interesting dude. Just to go back briefly to what you said about like your dad kind of wanting you to go into sports and then you were kind of more artistic. Was there a point where he finally like saw you as an artist yeah i think actually kind of leading into the internship i think around the time i was doing that that's when he started to recognize that this is like a career choice and path maybe wasn't as smart as going into sports at the time but which you know they're both kind of pipe dreams to be honest but it's like yeah i think that he got on board when he saw that i could make a living doing it Hmm. That seems to be the case for parents. I think especially for black parents, like 
you're artistic and they they see that you do this but it doesn't really click that like oh this can be a profession it's kind of always just like a hobby and it seems like there's always like this this point where they finally hopefully they finally sort of see you it's like okay you're an artist this is like work that you can do and it usually comes around money yeah yeah i think money is a revolving factor right there and like there's a lot of different jobs that have happened in the past, like 20 years that just weren't available to us, I think as well. Uh, yeah. You know, before, like they, they had no idea. Like I, I was like, dad, you know, these guys check out these guys. They're making like millions of dollars playing call of duty or video games or whatever. And he's like, what? Oh my God. Like what, what is going on? Like, I don't even, <laughs> like, what do, what do you mean? You should have been playing that. What are you doing? It's like, my <laughs> dad, I'm just, I yeah. couldn't. There was no option. But yeah, you know, there's there's just different avenues that have popped up that are just they blow my mind. It's like if I knew you can make money doing videos and YouTube and stuff like that, like before, you know, I I, I mean, I just wouldn't have been so worrisome of like, what am I going to do? There's so many options nowadays, you know, mm-hmm. in my opinion. It's so interesting. Like my my best friend. Chris, who's been on the the show before, people want to check him out. I think he's episode 40, Dr. Chris Stewart. But he's got two daughters, and his oldest daughter kind of wants to be a YouTuber. I think Mm. she's probably like, I don't know, maybe about like eight or nine years old. She wants to be a YouTuber. And he's sort of like, <laughs> like adamantly against it. Like, no, like I wanted to like go to school and like learn STEM stuff and all this kind of thing, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I, and I kind of had to tell him like, you know, you got to think about it. Like back when we were kids, like even working in computers and the internet was like an impossibility because it barely existed. Like what right. we do now back then made no sense. So if what she's doing now <laughs> doesn't make sense like congratulations you're old but like also this is just (laughs) this is where like career trends are going like things are going now towards doing things online and being a content creator Uh, exactly and it's like you could i I would say kids just stick to tiktok like there's gonna be some probably big money in it soon if you if you want to turn that into a career but also like i would also recommend to artists starting out that like have some kind of money income it doesn't have to be like glamorous or anything but like it would have it would have helped me for sure like doing this full time without some kind of like financial stability was pretty rough yeah um you know it's like my dad's pretty rough on me already financially growing up which was good i'm glad he was but yeah it's rougher to just not have any kind of money coming in and you got to worry about like making a painting or whatever to sell it or, Mm -hmm. you know, to get some kind of comic book job. Like that stuff is pretty, pretty hard to do as a creative, like what, whatever creative job you're doing, I would always say if you can have some kind of like financial support from yourself, if possible. Right. Like you don't want to fall into that, like starving artist trope. Yeah. That's the worst. Uh, (laughs) Like I, I do not miss those days at all. That's like one thing that I would go back and change is like, maybe I should just like get a like part-time job or something right here and, mm-hmm. uh, and figure it out. But yeah, it's, it's all been good. Everything kind of works itself out at the end. Yeah. Now back in, in 2017, you had your first solo exhibition. Take us mm-hmm. back to that time. Like what was going on then? Oh man, that was a huge, huge year for me. Oh, a couple things happened like within that year and a half lifespan or uh, time frame. And um, 
that was my first big show in 2017 at MRG Gallery. Uh, it was a guy, Michael, I met, and we're, we're still pretty good friends. And I actually saw him pretty recently, like about a, you know, about a week ago. But that was my first uh, gallery and solo show that I ever had. And I had a, maybe about 15 pieces in there that I worked on throughout that year. And I think I finished like seven of them in the last month of that. So, yeah, that was like a big turning point of how I thought about creating art and selling art and, you know, how to get people there, how to get people engaged, what kind of steps you should make, like what people were gravitating towards as well, what they liked. I remember correctly, like we didn't sell any pieces at the show, but I think we sold some following the show, which was pretty good, I guess, for my first show. And I had no like exposure in that world at all. That was a fun experience that like, you know, it's just one of those things that twists your brain and changes your life forever. I can imagine like it's probably like the culmination of of so many things. I mean, of course, you're working to create this sort of singular body of work for this exhibition. But also it's kind of like it's your like an aha moment in a way like, oh, not only mm-hmm. am I an artist, but like I am in like capital A artist with like an exhibition <laughs> and a gallery like I'm an artist. Yeah. And it was one of those times, I think it was maybe the first time where I really had something centered around me. That was very important. And that helped me move forward and uh, get me used to like people wanting to see my work. And I'm an important person. I am, you know, who I make myself to be. Yeah. Uh, And that kind of helped me move forward a little bit more in my career. Now, I asked this question to uh, Donna Cora, who I had on the show a couple weeks ago. And she's another artist, actually. I mentioning you i had discovered her on tiktok we're starting to see like a lot more black fine artists and their work being just exhibited in general to the mainstream over the past like probably mm. 10 years or so i had mentioned to don like kahinde wiley and amy sherald i mentioned yeah. those two specifically because they did the obama portraits but like also those portraits are now on tour in the country yeah. so like now they're going around a different city so everyone that maybe couldn't make it to the national portrait gallery in dc can now see it in their city but also we're starting to see more black artists and their work being exhibited through black media, you know, movies, television shows, et cetera. And you had even mentioned, you know, before we started recording that some of your work has been included in some media like that. What are your thoughts about that kind of exposure? Does that really help you out as an artist? I think it does. And it doesn't. I think if you're on some of those, I was in a show, I think big trouble, I think I was in like a documentary on Netflix somewhere on there. I'm sure somebody can find me somewhere. I feel like exposure wise, it does help kind of build your credit and credentials. But I think more importantly, it's great because black shows and black media can pay black artists. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important part to move forward for any black artist because that can feel, you know, their next six months or whatever or next that kind of been a breaking point where like, you know, after that six months, they had to stop producing work and then it kind of slows down. Mm-hmm. But all those little things are wins, uh, in my opinion, because every time you hire in a black artist or hire from a black artist, it helps that kind of community grow and it helps that black renaissance movement that's kind of happening right now with Kehinde and everybody. It's like, it's all upbringing. Yeah. 
And certainly now, you know, what I would love to see, because through this show, I've been very fortunate to talk to a lot of people and now see their work out in the world. What my hope is that, you know, the Black artists kind of get that same level of recognition as, say, like, I don't know, like a Jordan Peele or or Issa Rae, just in terms of like, you are also someone that is also like creating these visual representations of the world and they're out there for people to see like people need to know Thank that you. black contemporary artists exist period i i 100 couldn't agree more and i think like for me personally i'm an artist and i want to branch out i want to do in a similar fashion of like what uh, jordan peele or Issa Rae do they're kind of entrepreneurs in, in general right like black entrepreneurship is very fresh and it's popping right now and i feel like it's a good time to be one and express like different avenues of creativity. Like if you want to get into, if you're, if you're an artist and you want to get into fashion, I think people are now supporting that more than ever. Mm -hmm. And if you're like a, if you're into fashion and you want to get into making movies, like, you know, there's no stopping you really feel like there's Donald Glover's of the world who want to just be an actor, be a comedy writer, be a, whatever they want to be you can kind of make it all come together. I feel like you don't have to necessarily be one thing anymore. It's just like as hard as you want to work. Yeah. Like being that kind of black creative multi hyphenate. I don't yeah. want to say it seems like it's necessarily the norm, but I think we're certainly starting to see it or rather, I think it's starting to be normalized. Like someone yeah. like, you know, we're mentioning Easton and Jordan. Of course, there are several others that fall into this camp that do multiple kinds of creative work or they do, multiple modes of creative work within one thing like jordan i think we know from comedy first but then also is clearly this like horror buff also and can really like flourish totally. in that realm also yeah and like i just saw candy man not super re recently but whenever it came out but that yeah. was like an amazing movie where it kind of reminded me of like a black blade runner <laughs> like the shots of it mm -hmm. and then it, you know was had its horror elements and i love his stuff because it's like you always forget that you're watching a horror movie till something pops off and you're like, Oh yeah, this is candy, man. Yeah. I forgot what I was watching for a second, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's, it's just, uh, honestly, I, I just get inspired all the time by people like that and Issa Rae and everybody who's doing something remarkable. Where else do you pull inspiration from? Man, I pull inspiration from a little bit of God, what do I pull inspiration from? I feel like I, I get inspiration from a little bit of everything. Like I'm into comic books. I'm into games. I'm into mythology. I feel like there's bits and pieces that I'll deep dive into uh, and I'll get on kicks of. So I was kind of like on a Roman kick lately of the artwork over there and kind of wanting to replicate what was created back in those times of like ancient Rome and what kind of stories were coming out of there. And I also remember like old stories, uh, African stories that my mom used to tell me back in the day. And I'm starting to kind of research those in the past week. So it's, it's, it's a little bit of whatever I'm feeling in the moment, I think makes sense and is close to me mm -hmm. or makes sense for me. Then I'll, I'll kind of draw inspiration from that. Are there any other like artists out there that you admire? Uh, there are a ton of artists. I feel like I am. Actually, to get my art style, I took my, I think I took my five favorite artists. And this is something I tell younger artists as well. Like, take your five 
favorite artists who are still living or dead. Take one element from each artist, mix them together, but make it your own. And then you kind of have your style right there. Um, and that's, that's something that I used personally and kind of made up to figure out like what was me and what did I like and what did I enjoy that I won't get burned out on. But yeah, like some of those artists I grabbed from were Shepard Fairey, Hinde Wiley, Retina, Andy Warhol, of course. He's like a, you know, I feel like you got to at least give him some credit on some, some aspects of your life. And mm-hmm. there's a couple of them like that are pretty mainstream that I draw from that I really liked growing up. But I'll usually like draw from one piece of theirs and then be like, okay, like, why do I really like this piece? And what makes me want to create more pieces similar to this? And what's Mm -hmm. the element that is affecting me like that? So what is it that you kind of want people to see when they look at your work? I want them to like, there's a little bit of that person who I'm painting in them. There is a piece I did for it was for i think it was for we rise show in downtown la they had mm-hmm. those yearly i think maybe the last one was into action no it was we we rise and they do this other show into action but they do these amazing kind of museum pop-ups that they were doing yearly i think they took a break during covid because of regulations and it's pretty hard but there was a couple pieces i did during that show one was the first camouflage piece i did which was Tupac, a piece of Tupac, and he was wearing a Kaepernick jersey. And that was like my first camo piece I did. And that actually didn't even make it on the wall. It was like, funny story, like that didn't make it on the wall. That was put behind like a DJ booth almost. And like, you know, that was like a whole bummer. And, you know, everybody there is super cool. And like, you know, they really tried to make it work. But like there were so many artists and like very little space left on the walls. But uh, that ended up being like one of the biggest pieces of the show. Everybody kind of like went over there and they were like, oh, what's that piece over there? It kind of made it mysterious a little bit. I was just behind the DJ booth, which I thought was funny, but not not on purpose or for any like specific reason. But I think during that time, that was a big piece. And you have people, I had people sending like paragraphs to me on Instagram, how much that meant to them, you know, how much. They appreciated it. And, you know, it was a big time because that was right after I think Cap took a knee for that. And um, I think it was just impactful for a lot of people to see that. And it almost meant what would this person do today? Like, where would this person stand politically? And so I had Tupac, I had MLK and Cesar Chavez all in Kaepernick jerseys. Yeah, it's amazing that, you know, just kind of talk about Tupac for a minute. I mean, he was 25 when yeah, he died, man. he was a kid, like a baby. Man, <laughs> man, oh. I can. <laughs> Twenty-five is like a decade now. Well, no, I mean, but but like it's amazing because like we think of folks like you know like Biggie and Tupac and others, you know, even like MLK as you mentioned, like they were they were yeah. really young Relatively when they were young. killed, yeah. you know, and it's and it is kind of you know part of like just a I don't know like creative imagination <laughs> to think about like what would they have believed at this time or who would they have been as artists or as activists or whomever? But like, yeah, it is crazy. Like, I just wonder sometimes how history would have changed if it wasn't like, what if they didn't die? Would it be better or would have anything changed or like, you know, what would it be worse or, you know, it's just, it's a crazy concept 
to think about what would have happened if MLK was still here, would we have gone further or did that happen for a reason? And like, I don't know. It's, it's just nuts. And I mean, also just like, just what they, you know, managed to accomplish in just that short time, you know, like, exactly. You know, like we're saying, you know, now, like, yeah, 25, like, when I was 25, I know what the fuck I was doing at all. Man. I was just trying to make it. I was, the truth. let me see, at 25, I was <laughs> four years out of college. I think I had okay. just got fired from a job. And, oh, I remember briefly, oh, I remember vividly <laughs> now. I just got fired. I was working at Auto Trader and I got fired and I was like answering phones or whatever. I didn't know what I was going to do. My mom was like, you need to get it together. Like, what are you going to do with your life? And I, I was always like designing and doing websites and stuff on the side as like a hobby. Cause this was yep. like 2000, like five, 2006, like this. It wasn't really okay, a market yeah. for this really yet. And it certainly, it wasn't something you could just like go to school and learn. And so I had just like found a one ad in the back of like our local alt weekly newspaper here in Atlanta and just applied on a whim and, that ended up being the start of my like design career. But like, I can't imagine like as a, as a celebrity with that kind of cultural impact that you've had at that age. Like, Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah, you have to be, you have to be making some moves back then for sure. I feel like that's a, yeah, that's also insane to think about just how like nowadays you can jump on social media and just become like a internet superstar or whatever. But back then you had to like really be, I feel like pushed by everybody and like mm-hmm. everybody had to really know who you are, know your name or know your craft. And like, not that they don't nowadays, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's a whole a new ball game. Yeah. A whole new ball game. And the internet um, has made it that way now where you can, you know, really kind of make a name for yourself and not to say like you can make a name for yourself without any sort of discernible talent. Although we have seen that, but the internet at least yeah. sort of, <laughs> I, I think in a way democratizes how people can become influencers because the barriers to get to that level of influence have kind of been flattened. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's definitely more open to the public for sure. As like who can be seen and who can be heard the loudest Mm -hmm. in a sense. Like, I feel like you could be a kid from nothing. I think that's like my favorite part of the internet is like when you get somebody who really had like no opportunities or like no kind of way of getting like out of a bad situation. And then they like started to put themselves out there on the internet and now they're just like mega, you know, successful in their own right. So I think that's kind of the better version of the internet that I like to see the most, you know, obviously you have all sorts of variables of that. They could be super crappy people and get that same situation. But that's kind of how the game works. Mm-hmm. In recent uh, years, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned about yourself? I feel like I need to trust my intuition more. And that's been, that's been helpful. Trusting that people will accept me for who I am and what I want to create and make and paint and will support me. And I think that's been a huge, huge influence throughout the past couple of years as really changed my life and impacted me because I didn't always have that. I didn't really always believe in myself to get this far or get where I am or, you know, get in the position I want to be in. So I think if I knew that a little bit earlier, it would have saved a lot of stress. Who would you have been if you didn't become an artist? So I was never fit for like an office job. So I, I wanted to either been a scientist or a bum. So I don't know, either, <laughs> either or. 
I don't like it's no middle ground. I feel like I always had to be an artist. Like I had no choice because I couldn't really do anything else <laughs> in whatever field I wanted to be in. Like I wasn't too great at math growing up in like high school and stuff. So I was like, oh, I want to be a scientist, but there, like there's all these equations and stuff. So you know, screw that. But funny enough, I think the true answer to that probably would have been like sports, probably in some shape or form. And it's just funny because like, I don't keep up with sports at all nowadays. And, you know, that's like kind of what I grew up off of. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. like my dad's bread and butter, but it probably would have been sports or something in video games, like some kind of analyst or something. I don't know. Yeah. I really couldn't answer, but something along those lines that is just completely different, I think in some way. Now you, you know, you kind of mentioned video games. You've mentioned that as, as a bit of a kind of a through line throughout this interview. Is that like a dream project that you'd love to do one day? Yes. Games would be a cool kind of way to be integrated into my current career. I'm actually like creating an NFT right now. I kind of getting into that whole space of like digitally sold artwork. And I feel like it's all kind of, leading to that in a sense in some shape or form uh and like if i never do that that's totally fine and it's not like a dream killer because i feel like i'm living my dream right now just doing art and making a living off of that but you know there's certain things that it's kind of crazy when it happens and it comes full circle like i did a project for um madden where i had to paint aaron donald for like the 99 club mm-hmm. and that was like weird and kind of full circle because it's like with my pops' background, it's like I never thought that it would kind of end up back at football in such a like profound way, you know. It, it'd be cool, I think, if that happened for sure. There's been like a couple opportunities where I have gotten into like a video game world and worked with some like pro gamers and stuff. Um, but you know, sometimes those are pretty weird deals to make happen with like fine art. And I also have to stay on brand sometimes. Like I don't want to do something completely out of pocket. And mm-hmm. just like go south of like what's me. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. I mean, certainly when it comes to like, it's interesting, even now with video games, like that's another medium that has really grown and changed a lot thanks to technology. I mean, the games back in the day really were pretty one note in terms of what they could be. And now, especially on the indie game kind of community, video games can look so many yeah. different ways. They can be so many different things. I do wonder if that does you know, afford more opportunities for artists to get involved in that way. Like there's this one person mm-hmm. in particular who I want to, I really want to try to get her on the show, but her name, she goes by Momo pixel. She yeah. made this game. Goodness. I think she was working at Wyden and Kennedy at the time, but made this game called actually, I forget what the name of the game was called, but the premise of it was like this black woman going about her day and people trying yeah. to touch her hair and you, oh as the as the black woman, had to like swat all the hands away. So it's like, Dang. like she's on the plane, she's in a taxi, she's on the bus, and like people are trying to touch her <laughs> hair, and you just swat all the hands away to get to yeah, like the end goal amazing. or whatever. I, I played it at XOXO, which is this uh, like internet conference that that takes place in Portland. I remember playing it there back in 2018 and being like. This is the coolest shit I've ever seen. Like, there's no way I would be playing this on Nintendo. Like, but she just made the game. And it's like, yeah, like, this sort of stuff is wild. I can imagine there's so many opportunities like that. Yeah, that's no joke. I feel like I have a couple friends uh, who've been in the the indie game space. And it's like, it's no 
easy feat to just like make that stuff. It's kind of like years of understanding how to code and make the art and game design. And it's always something I've just been interested in throughout my whole life. So yeah, if you if you find that game, you gotta send that to me. Oh yeah, I'm looking at them now. It's called Hair Nah. H A I R N A H. And it's at, at hairnah.com. And like I'm going to her, she's on Twitter at Momo Uh oh M O M O U H O H. And dope. Yeah, like she's an artist, indie game developer, creator of Hair Nah. Final NFT and origin story drops soon. So she's even on the, oh, the awesome. NFT route too. So yeah, interesting. That's another another crazy space that's kind of popped up in the past like year and a half on a bigger scale. But I I know it's been around for a couple of years now, like six or seven years really. But that's also an element of being an artist that you have to adapt. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a lot of different things that come up over the decades and i feel like always shoot for what's next you know have that open as an option because if you kind of look at artists of the past or yesteryear they've always kind of adapted to the what's the newest trend or what's the newest adaptation not that you always have to make something that's trendy or whatever but it's always cool to keep an eye out for something to elevate yourself and your work yeah yeah do you feel creatively satisfied i feel like when there's big projects like the Ohio project, yeah, there's always what's the next big thing or like, where do I go from here? And I think for me, it's like, there's a couple bucket list goals of art career choices that I want to kind of check off. So I feel like I, I'm never quite satisfied. And I think the day that I am, I'm hopefully kind of completed that bucket list. Mm. To that end, like, where do you see yourself in the next five years? What kind of work would you would you love to be doing? I mean, I guess a longer goal for me is like, hopefully in the next five years, my work is different. I wouldn't say completely different. Hopefully by the end of my career, it's completely different. But like, hopefully in five years, my work is different from it is now. And there's different platforms and different mediums that I'm working in you can always kind of elevate yourself a little bit. And I'm trying to branch out from just painting on canvas. Like I want to get into sculptures. I want to get into painting cars, to, you know, whatever it may be doing more NFT stuff, doing some 3d work. So I think that's where I see myself in five years is kind of completing all those goals and, you know, making a living doing it. You know, I feel like the big thing now, I know we've talked about, nfts but i'm starting to see platforms start to go towards the metaverse which yes. is it's, it's i mean honestly it sounds even weird for me to say it because that sounds like some shit that came on like a 90s like right. power rangers vr troopers we're going to the metaverse kind of thing but like i'm starting to see platforms think about like what it is to be in the metaverse facebook most specifically but like you know there's also artists that are starting to work in that medium are starting to do things in that whole yep. medium. And I know NFTs are part of that, like NFTs, generative art, digital art, like all that sort of like plays into it. But I mean, you know, I think even uh, Sotheby's did like a virtual gallery yeah. in the metaverse. It's insane. It's just, yeah, it's the metaverse is an interesting place where kind of anything goes and it's uh, the whole crypto space is the wild west right now yeah Uh, and i think it's going to be that way for a while and 
it's just like you can make anything you can create anything you want to create i wish i knew 3d better so i can kind of jump in there a little bit more but you know there's always opportunity i think for anybody i have a friend who made like a metaverse thing frank wilder he's on uh, ig but he did a whole metaverse kind of reality where he's making like cars and planes and like get your nft lambo or rolls royce or whatever you want you know making art and also in that space so it's it's a crazy thing that's i think going to be pretty popping in the next like five to ten years it's going to be like i think the the future really yeah well just to you know kind of wrap things up here where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online you can find out more about me on TikTok first and foremost at Gabe Galt. I'm on Instagram at Gabe Galt, and I also have GabeGalt.com. Uh, I'm sure I'm like on other platforms as well. I'm on Twitter and other things, but I think mostly you can get a good idea of my work on those. Sounds good. Well, Gabe Galt, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. One, thank you for just sharing, you know, kind of the process about your work and really talking about some of the the projects that you've done. But also, you know, I think it's always great when you have like an artist that's really kind of doing these things that are, I don't know, kind of a mix of like classic imagery, like what you do with your portraits, but then also you're putting your own kind of interesting twist on it. I think the work that you're doing is completely sublime. It's really dope work. I can't wait to see what stuff you're doing in the next few years and hopefully more of the world we'll be able to see what you've done from this interview. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. No, thank you so much. Like that keeps me going. So I appreciate being on here. Big, big thanks to Gabe Galt. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Gabe and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. And of course, thanks to our wonderful sponsor for this episode, Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit, creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by R.J. Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of the interview? Better yet, what do you think about Revision Path overall? Please, don't be a stranger. Talk to us. We're on social media. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. Just search for Revision Path, all one word. Or you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Let everyone you know know about the show because it really helps us grow and reach more people all around the world. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.